today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Have you noticed how quiet it's gotten? You can hear crickets. Uh, as soon as uh, uh, ex-president Donald Trump was banned from social media, it seemed the whole world had changed. You know, at one time we never heard enough from our politicians. Now it's like, really, do we need to hear from you every single hour? Uh, it's bizarre. Feel free. You can weigh in on that on Facebook and Twitter. It is the podcast edition of the commentary. All right. Lots of chatter in regard to the relationship between, uh, the new president of the United States, Joe Biden and Prime Minister uh, Trudeau. Obviously, uh, the Keystone pipeline, an issue right off the top. But other than that, uh, where does the relationship go moving forward? Uh, let's play that report, Will. The two men have a lot to talk about, namely the Biden administration's decision to cancel the permits for the Keystone XL pipeline, something that has certainly ruffled feathers in Canada. Not only will Biden be seeking to smooth over that relationship here in these early days, but he's also signaling a return to more traditional foreign relations by the White House. Remember, Canada is typically the first foreign phone call and often the first foreign visit for an incoming U.S. president. And so by doing this, by reaching out to the prime minister in these early days, Biden is signaling a much more traditional political response. He is also perhaps hoping to build on the goodwill that existed between Trudeau and the Obama administration, something that was seemingly lost during the Trump years. That is Jackson Proskow from uh, Global News. Let's bring in Ann Fitzgerald. She is the director of the Balsley School of International Affairs and professor at the Department of Political Science, Wilfrid Laurier University, and is with us now. And thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Good morning, Scott. Uh, obviously, uh, with the new uh, president being installed yesterday, uh, things have greatly changed in the world. We remember when uh, Donald Trump came to power initially uh, in the early stages, uh, it seemed to be uh, that he was praising our traditional enemies and, uh, and at the same time uh, offending our traditional allies. How is the world feeling about the change in the administration, do you think? Well, I think in general, the world is feeling uh, much more at ease and uh, a lot better with the outcome. I think um, the narrow marginal win in Congress as well has produced further confidence. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty there, but I think the the optics certainly hit the ground running yesterday. Um, President Biden's speech uh, oozed with confidence, yet exercised a degree of um, really respectable humility, um, emulated decency, but also recognized reality. And we didn't see the drama that we've seen over the last five, uh, four years under President Trump. So I, I thought there was a real human touch. It reflected diversity. And I think these big issues are what the world's eyes are on. Behavior, conduct, engagement, um, words. Does this change world order? Does it change, you know, at one time, um, you, you know, it seemed the United States uh, was the world's police person, that they would watch over everything. And then uh, during the Trump administration, it's all for one and, and to heck with the rest of you sort of thing. We're looking after uh, America first. Uh, d- does it change things now? I mean, is, is, is it right to say America's back and is watching again? I think we've learned over the last four years, um, but but even possibly before then as well, that um, certainly Europe uh, has increasingly felt that it cannot rely on the United States for its wider security and defense anymore. 
Um, others are feeling this way as well. That's why you have seen the development of many coalitions around the world in response to this absence of leadership, uh, especially during during the COVID-19 pandemic um, and in, in an ongoing way in that context. But equally, you haven't seen anybody step into the realm as well and replace the U.S. Um, mm. in, in a leadership role. We've got the, the, the huge growth of China and China's economy, um, soon to be the largest economy in the world. I think people are watching this very carefully um, and, and trying to position themselves strategically amongst like-minded partners in ways that they will engage with China more in the future. We see these movements in South, Southeast Asia as well, um, looking away from the United States as, as the traditional leading partner to a more um, diverse portfolio of, of partnerships. Uh, so I think this also reflects guesses that are being made on what Biden will do in the first couple of years of his term, and a big focus will be inward. Um, he's got to give the population confidence. He's got to rebuild bridges. He's got to build new bridges. He's got to take down some of these divides. And he's going to have to make some hard decisions as well. I mean, the, the country is very politically divided, and therefore the partisan nature of congressional discussions is such that hard decisions are going to have to be made through some executive orders. Um, and and he will have to be focused on the consequences they will produce at home. Uh, still, uh, although Biden won, there was still an awful lot of people that voted for Donald Trump. Many, uh, especially after the inauguration, uh, I think are looking inward and wondering what happens next. What about the Donald Trump movement post-election and the divisiveness in the Republican Party, how do they rebuild? Where do they go? I mean, obviously, Mitch, Mitch McConnell's doing his best uh, to to uh, to distance himself from the ex-president, but there's lots of others within that party who are not. Um, many are concerned about the movement post-Donald Trump presidency. Are you? I'm concerned about um, sporadic incidences of um, violence, and of ongoing systemic racism and racial and religious um, uh, inequality, in, especially in some areas in uh, America. So this is something that I think the new president will really have to tackle to show that there will be zero tolerance for these things moving forward. I think we've already seen some diminished platforms and positions as a result of how Congress, in certain ways, unified following the uh, very terrible incident at the Capitol Hill where violence um, broke out, both inside and outside the Capitol. So for me, it's all about leadership at every level and uh, having the new administration focus on a manageable set of objectives that can become the strategic objectives, the, the, the real um, communication beacons that get shared across the country to remind the country of, of the collective power and the need for, for all states to act in unison and together. And I think if, if that leadership cascades down, then we'll see other positions diminishing on this um, uh, right-wing um, movement issue. But it, it takes leadership, and, and the one who has to start initiating that leadership is the new President Biden. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many have said that this wasn't created by Donald Trump. He just threw fuel on the fire, that this has been building for for a long time. And we've, you know, even as Donald Trump was elected, we, we saw parties move towards more populist leaders. Uh, and this was the way to go. And, and this is how you, you get elected. And then all of a sudden, boom, this thing blows up and there's uh, the riots and what we had on Capitol Hill. Am I naive to think that that made an impact? And people might say, you know, maybe we should. Uh, it's less about my team and your team and more about unity. Uh, the violence and what we saw and the disrespect for that sacred place does that resonate? Is that enough to make not only Americans, I mean, we'd be smug to say that it doesn't happen in other parts of the world, including where we are in some forms. Uh, is it naive to think that people are going to go, Whew, this is getting out of hand. Extremism is getting out of hand. I don't think it's naive, but I think you raise a really important point here, which um, other countries, not just the United States, are facing at the moment. The rise of the right wing um, leaders and parties that are uh, committing to an inward focus only and withdrawing from the rest of the world. I think what needs to be shared on an ongoing basis with constituencies is the importance of linkages between a lot of those very worrying international trends and what happens on the streets in local communities. So, for example, the importance of um, climate change uh, and how that impacts at the community level, the importance of um, uh, tackling rule of law and having the capacity to enforce rule of law because of incoming things that might impact on the continental borders. And and I think that's where many leaders haven't done a, a, a fantastic job, making those linkages between the international um, security, economic, and social trends, and what happens at the community level. A lot of communities in the United States and Canada have not, over the years, felt threatened. You know, even um, the, the tragic incident of 9-11 and uh, what occurred at the Pentagon on the same day and elsewhere didn't quite resonate with communities on the West Coast that were geographically very far from this. But I think the COVID-19 pandemic has underscored the importance of us to become, uh, for us to become more interested in globalization again, but globalization in a different way. Globalization that um, sees us being more self-sufficient in terms of catering for our populations and providing those critical services, but globalization uh, in terms of um, dialogue with like-minded partners, working with like-minded partners, um, seeking to. Um, not be binary in our responses, like all or nothing and zero-sum games on most issues, but working or or simply left around. Or, or, or simply and left versus right. I mean, you know, we talk about extremism and we certainly know that the right wing is is more organized and, and, and more political uh, in that respect. But it seems that, uh, you know, even in Canada, where parties used to be, uh, for example, you know, the conservatives would be just right of center. The liberals would be just left of center and the NDP a little bit more left than that. It seems that each one has gone off to their perspective corner and ignored the center here, whether it's fiscally conservative and socially liberal or socially liberal and fiscally conservative, it seems we're catering more to the extremes or the fringes of this party than are these parties than we are the common denominators in the center that bring us together. 
I agree. I agree. And and what I would say to that uh, is is are two things. First of all, the importance of value. So having a value based approach that. Um, our, our national interests are based on that can connect with those basic values, which the United States has always been really good at projecting, no matter which government has been in power, but make the connection to what people should be thinking at the ground level. The other thing is the economy. And uh, to use a, a crude expression that, that Bill Clinton became very famous for, um, it, it's the economy stupid. And it is. And with a strong economy, People get less interested in right-wing politics and, and extremism, et cetera. So, you know, this is why I think we're hearing from, from Biden, no contract will be brokered and no trade deal agreement will be brokered unless it prioritizes American producers. Um, he's, he's really committed to not only um, uh, responding to these huge gaps in the, in the pandemic response, but huge gaps in orientating the American education system and the economic producers, those really major productive functions of the economy, towards the future. And I think those types of signals are good news. They're good news for Canada and they're good news for the U.S. Uh, many uh, Americans um, uh, think the election was rigged, despite having done the same basic thing for over 200 years. This one, for some reason, is different. And a lot of Americans, because politicians told them so, their leaders told them so, that this was a rigged election. Um, Donald Trump came in on the scene saying, everything is fake, everything is fake, everything is fake. And then in the end, you sort of realize, well, no, perhaps you're the only thing that's fake, pointing to everything else so it's less attention on yourself. But in the end, there's a tremendous amount of suspicion in these institutions now as a result of all of this. How does the current president or anybody regain uh, or help the public regain faith in these institutions that, that, that make the rules for our democracy? Well, in a way, it was the institutions that came together in response to yeah. the violence in the and, and capital, and people saw that quite vividly. The other thing that um, President Biden has stood behind and emphasized was the importance of scientific evidence-based policy. And the um, incoming administration and Congress and the Electoral Commission um, at the state level and the federal level were at pains to... Um, emphasize that an evidence-based approach had been taken to um, the checks and balances uh, over the accountability of the election. So I think that continued theme, that evidence-based, like policy needs to be based on credible evidence, will keep uh, groups from becoming so polarized. And, you know, Donald Trump's zero-sum talk, his, his drama, his polarized views, his, his antagonism, that trickled down um, in many parts of the U.S. And I think we will in time see a bit more of a tempering effect with some of those groups. With other groups, it's going to take longer, and it's going to rely on leadership um, uh, at the higher levels of the Republican Party to, to trickle down a different sense of conduct and behavior. But, you know, with, with, with two major groups in a governance situation, um, you often see, you know the expression, you rise to your competition. Well, let the competition set the tone and let the opposite player rise a little bit to that. And um, we might see 
different levels of civility, of behavior, of you know, basic ways of carrying oneself in society change in the United States. Um, obviously, it appears that this relationship between Biden and Trudeau will will get off on uh, uh, a bit of a sour note with Keystone, although I think obviously with both uh, liberal or democratic parties, they will see eye to eye on things more than they disagree with. That being said, what are your thoughts on the Keystone being dead and, and how the prime minister handles that moving forward? I don't think we should have been surprised at the outcome of this decision, and I don't think the government entirely was. Yes, there's huge disappointment, um, particularly for the province of Alberta that was standing to to benefit hugely. And, of course, uh, Alberta's contribution to to federal tax revenue is huge as well. So we will also see, and I think there's a lot of concern about this, further losses incurred as a result of the um, halting of that project. But... We've got a lot to talk about beyond Keystone, and even with regard to Keystone, um, uh, the company itself is working hard to pivot in different directions, to um, uh, develop different approaches to building uh, more climate-compliant energy infrastructure. Um, uh, There have been discussions about relief packages, um, looking at the example of Germany and how um, coal-producing communities were taken care of and what maybe can be learned from models like that. Um, so I think I, I, it's not going to be an either-or discussion. There's going to be some uh, gray area that both leaders will try to navigate uh, through. Uh, look, the U.S. is Canada's most important partner. We will be prepared for this discussion. There will be issues other than Keystone, like dairy, softwood lumber, um, uh, beyond oil and gas, and um, continental defense as well. You know, with inward-looking populations, we need to care about our borders, especially as international threats are hitting Canadian and American soil um, uh, more and more. You know, we have populations that now feel threatened. So um, hopefully there will be a fruitful discussion. It's in Joe Biden's interest to hit his foreign uh, his discussions with foreign partners off on the right note, and hopefully there will be some quick wins with regards to salvaging um, aspects of the Keystone project. Is this a blessing in disguise for the Prime Minister? I think it probably is a blessing in disguise because we've got big constituencies here in Canada um, very, very concerned about climate commitments, the Paris Accord, Canada's contribution to them. And we can't pick and choose what... Um, in the climate agenda we opt into and we opt out of. We've, we've got to take a strategic position on climate change. Um, and, you know, I think this whole discussion around Keystone in the future and the next steps will help clarify that position more. What about getting, you know, the argument for Alberta is that, you know, you can get your energy from us and you can follow these standards of which I guess they say they're constantly increasing their environmental standards or you can buy dirty, even stuff that's even more dirty from other places around the world. Well, look, pivoting is not going to happen overnight, right? So uh, when I say strategic approach, I really, really emphasize that. And, And, you know, the coal strategy uh, in Germany, one that I referenced earlier, was was done over 10 years. It's still ongoing. Um, milestones need to be reached in a sequential way. 
which cater for our economic stability um, because we need to be economically prosperous to be secure as a country. And so we need to keep producing as we're pivoting. And those milestones will eventually lead to us achieving to our higher level strategic objectives, but over time and in a way that caters for provinces like Alberta that contribute hugely to that agenda um, and in ways that set provinces like Alberta up for the future as Mm. well. So I think, you know, this is a, a very mutually dependent, mutually reinforcing agenda between two countries. And uh, Anne Fitzgerald is with us, director of the Balsley School of International Affairs and professor in the Department of Political Science at Wilfrid Laurier University, talking about the relationship between Canada and the United States moving forward. And thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. My pleasure. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.